Before we begin, I'd just like to say thank you to my friends at Hair Saloon for supporting this podcast and for providing space at their corporate offices to record it. Hair Saloon's mission has as much to do with the restoration of men as it does with the business of haircutting. They try to make a difference in the lives of the thousands of men who come through their doors every week. Hair Saloon is based in St. Louis, Missouri, and if you've ever been interested in running your own business and want to work with great people, I would highly recommend you check out the Hair Saloon Franchise Opportunity. Go to hairsaloonfranchise.com to find out more information. That's hairsaloonfranchise.com. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, and please do take two minutes to give us your review. And if you have a question or a comment you'd like to share with our listeners, go to Suzanne at the SuzanneBankerShow.com. Welcome back to the Suzanne Benker Show. I'm your host, Suzanne Benker. Do you believe the future is female? Or do you believe the future is both female and male? Seems like an obvious answer, but in a culture where ideology trumps reason and common sense, it isn't. Americans today live with a constant drumbeat of narratives that promote women over men, and the most impressional among us, namely children, are being raised to think women are somehow superior to men and that men are flawed by nature. My guest today knows that if we only root for one sex to win, both sexes lose. Lisa Britton is a writer, activist, and entrepreneur who believes all children, boys included, should be empowered to live their best lives. She has taken her mission all the way to Washington, D.C., where she has met with lawmakers, encouraging them to focus on real issues affecting society and helping them work toward solutions. Lisa joins me now on the phone. Welcome, Lisa. Hey, Suzanne, what's up? <laughs> so nice to talk to you. <laughs> Good to talk to you, too. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. So I need to tell you, one of the reasons why you caught my eye, um, and I, I guess it's been in the last six months or so, is because of the fact that you truly understand how destructive feminism has become, and your age makes that kind of interesting. Like, I... I don't know exactly how old you are, but I can tell from your face, your beautiful face, that you're on the younger side. And that's that's unusual to find somebody on the younger side who really, really gets it. So I'm wondering how you became so passionate about what's happening between the sexes and in particular with men and boys. Um, okay, so I'm um, in my early 30s. <laughs> I kind of come across a little younger, but in my early Oh, that's 30s, young for me. Look- that is young for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, some people are like, wow, you look like you're 20 years old. And I'm like, okay, I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> but um, I live in Los Angeles, and I write children's books. So right away, I kind of stand out as a different voice on this issue, because I know there's a lot of people who've dedicated their lives for, to uh, bringing awareness to this. So I think that's why I kind of, people, their interests are picked up on from listening or watching me. Um, but how I got into this was I was actually the typical liberal girl living in Los Angeles feeling like um, I was a victim, walking around feeling like I was a victim because that was instilled in me since childhood. And I ended up actually volunteering in Tanzania. My brother built a school there. And um, I was focusing on the girls in Tanzania and in, in indigenous children. And I saw what true inequality looked like. Like um, some of the daughters were being sold for $25 or traded for a goat to older men. So um, my brother, his school, the girls there, they, if they're students, 
it's illegal to sell your daughter. So they like to focus on female empowerment in these communities. So after I was there, I came back and I was motivated. Wow, this is amazing. I'm going to help. And I got a response from people when I got home of them saying, well, why are you helping over there? Girls are unequal here. Do something here. So right then I was like, wait a second. Like, this doesn't seem right. Like, I, I just witnessed true inequality. And people are more concerned about what's happening in the United States. It was a little worrisome. Uh, nothing like a big mind. shot of reality, right? It, exactly. Um, so then um, come the election in 2016, um, I was kind of kind of didn't know which side was looking at. I was looking at everything that was happening, um, still kind of like that liberal mentality. Um, and then when the woman's march, the first woman's march happened, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go downtown and check it out. There's a big march in downtown Los Angeles. So I went down with just like open to seeing what, what was going on. And I saw a lot of little girls walking around with pink hats on, like four-year-old girls. And it hit me. I was like, wait a second, why are we instilling in these impressionable girls that they're somehow viewed less than, that they're at a disadvantage? Why are we instilling that in them now? They're going to grow up and think that for the rest of their lives. It's not true. So that's when it really hit me, like, wow, this has been a cycle where we're encouraging little girls to believe that society views them less than. So then I was like, I'm going to start writing my children's books to teach girls that they're equal, that they're capable, they're not victims. They're just right away. They can do anything they want. They can become a mother. They can become a doctor. They can do anything. So it was really to like make them not have that victimhood uh, mentality. So I thought, just because I guess I was naive, I thought that since Democrats are always speaking about, oh, we're the party for women, like, I'm going to try to meet with lawmakers as if, like, I had this big realization, like, we can help women by doing this. So I started um, going to D.C. I love D.C. and trying to meet with Democratic lawmakers. Most of them wouldn't even meet with me. But then the ones that I did meet with, they kind of just had a smile on. I was like, oh, that's nice, and chewing me out the door. They didn't care that what I was saying. How did you pitch it? So what, like, what was the pitch that they were receiving, that they were rejecting? I was like... I was like, I feel like if we truly want to make change and we want girls to be equal and everybody view everybody as equals, we have to stop teaching them that they're viewed as not equal. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they were were like kind of nodding their heads. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) And in fact, fact, I bet it was hard to even get a Republican on board because even they are too chicken, in my opinion, to, to face the reality of that. But anyway, well, go ahead. it's hard for them to, but when yeah. I really started moving into the boy realm was how um, Republicans did want to meet with me with open arms, like different offices. I would, I was like, maybe I'll start the Republicans. I would start emailing them and they email and respond right away. Yes, we'd love to meet with you. Can we meet with you? Blah, blah, blah. So I was like, wow, okay. Good. So I started meeting with Republican offices and leaders. And then it was actually um, John McCain's staff. I met with John McCain's staff, and they were the ones, um, His one of his um, staffers was like, why don't you write a book for boys? And at first I kind of looked at them and I was like, boys? But why, why would they need to be empowered? 
And they're like, no, I think this is an issue that you should address. So I was like, interesting. So I went home and I started doing my own research on it. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was it was a slow process of me basically, as they say, taking the red pill. But it yep. was like a slow mm-hmm. process of me realizing, wait a second, this is like a big issue. And then over the past year, I've really, um, I've gotten to know a lot of, like, scholars on the issue and people who are really trying to make a change. And they've educated me to the such a far extent. And now it's it's like I took my blinders off after my entire life believing a certain narrative. And it's just that this narrative is actually very destructive. Oh, and it's it, terrible. It, I, I, let me ask, let me just interrupt you for a minute. Do you feel like you just got it from the culture or did you get it? Do you remember getting it in schools and at home and just hitting you everywhere, the victim mentality? Oh, definitely. Ever since I was a kid in school, um, I was in elementary school in the early 90s, and there was a bunch of studies that was done in the early 90s, and then feminist organizations picked and chose the data from it to say, look, we need to empower girls. So in the early 90s, it really felt like there was like a girl power push when I was in elementary school. And I even remember when I was um, a child, um, I noticed that a lot of the boys in my class were being, like, diagnosed with mental issues, like um, ADHD and stuff like that. And they were being told more, like, sit down, shut up, as girls were saying, stand up, be loud. And I, I remember noticing that when I was a child. So now, reflecting on that, I'm like, wow, like, that's really where it started and then um, just as a teenager, I, I look back now and I realize, for example, um, in the 90s, shows like Sex in the City became very popular, which was encouraging women and girls. I was watching it when I was young, that um, being overly sexual and embracing your sexuality and almost like being like men was empowering. When now that I look back, I'm like, no, no, no. Like being in control is empowering. Um, Having respect for yourself is empowering. So I think a lot, I've, of course, I've had some bad experiences with men and stuff like that. And I look back and at those times and after I felt like, oh, like I'm a victim because of these things. But I realized if I felt that I was in control of my own destiny, that I wasn't just inherently a victim because I was a female, I could have avoided being in pretty much every bad situation that I have found myself in in my lifetime. What, in your opinion, makes it easier for you to have, uh, maybe it's just how you explained it now, you know, what your experiences were, but why it's easier for you than maybe some of your contemporaries to get this? Um, I believe that um, women my age, women of all ages, really, um, the feminist narrative resonates with them because they can take their own personal experiences and relate it to it. So when they're speaking about, like, Me Too, for example, um, most women have had issues with sexual harassment Um, Many have been um, sexually abused. So as soon as they hear that narrative, they jump on that train because they can personally relate to what they're saying. 
And then when um, when they bring up issues of domestic violence, for example, many women can jump on that train because even if there hasn't been like physical abuse, they've known been in relationships where there might have been some mental abuse there. So it's very easy for women and girls to just be like, yes, I stand fully with this feminist movement. And it, I feel like it's difficult for them to show empathy for boys and mm-hmm. men because to them, they've always been the perpetrators and they just can't. Uh, personally relate to what they're experiencing. So until people can truly have um, empathy for others, be able to take themselves out of the situation, take the emotions out and put themselves in somebody else's shoes, um, it's very difficult for them to realize what's truly going on. That's very, very, very well said. I love it. And obviously, I agree with you. And um, so that's really two separate issues almost is like trying to fend off the false narratives and then learn the art of empathy. And that I really feel like it's not until women have sons. And personally, this is how it I've learned that it's affected people that a lot of women don't really get the scope of what's happening until they have sons. Um, exactly. Or as you say, you, you, you notice the difference with the boys and the girls and um, the that's really where there's a, 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 a light bulb moment, I guess you would say. So yeah. I want to tell everybody, so Lisa's very active on social media. I think that's probably your, your main mode of communication. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So Twitter, Twitter and Instagram, but especially Twitter. And that's how I, that's how I found out about you originally. And that hashtag, the future is everyone. Is that yours? Yes, I started that. Love it. <laughs> and I was a little worried at first because the the future is female sounds very encouraging to most women, you know, like the future is female, of course. They don't understand that there can be some negative aspects of that towards young boys. So um, when if a mom shows up at school one day to pick up her son, young son, and she's wearing a the future is female shirt, boys don't understand that like the the I call it the perception of history mm-hmm. that that is falling into the narrative of so they see the future as female and it's just, it's, it's a constant shaming to mm-hmm. them of mm-hmm. these boys who have done nothing wrong they yep. they they're innocent young boys and to discourage young boys at that age it it just it's setting them up for failure. Absolutely. No question about it. And there's really nowhere for them to go because the the worst part of it is, is that their uh, feminists are so unbelievably wrong about men and boys. They're just so wrong about how they perceive them and what they really want to do and how wonderful they really are and how much they want to love women, not oppress them. And so it's just one big giant lie. Really, there's no other way to put it. Yeah. Does your marriage or love life feel hard? I get a lot of emails from readers who are struggling in their relationships. Unfortunately, the help an individual or couple needs can rarely be answered in a series of back and forth emails. For this reason, I offer coaching for individuals who are struggling in their relationships and for couples whose marriages feel stuck. Just go to SuzanneVenker.com and click on Coaching at the top to sign up for a session with me. That's SuzanneVenker.com. I'm going to mention now some of the Twitter statements, some of the statements you've made. So that we can talk about them. I pulled out a few that just jumped out at me. There was somebody who had said recently, the positive news, this wasn't you, someone else said, the positive news is that the vast majority of ordinary women do not take instructions from feminists. Yeah. 
and I wanted to jump out. And then I saw your response that was brilliant and totally correct. People say, this is you now, people say most women don't identify as feminist. All the madness is just extreme feminists on Twitter to just ignore it. No, no, no. Feminism, male shaming, and misandry has taken the more palatable term female empowerment hostage, and it is everywhere. Do you want to explain that? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I get this response a lot, and it actually saddens me because there's people who agree with me on what I'm saying. They're like, but you know what? It's like a quarter of women out there will consider themselves a feminist. Like they, and it's true, a lot of women don't consider themselves a feminist because they still have the, the term from back in the 70s when they were kind of got a bad reputation. So they don't call themselves feminists and they think, oh, well, that's okay then. But what's happened is that the feminist organizations have known that they kind of have that kind of reputation. So they used words like female empowerment to kind of seep into society in a more palatable way. So people who say, oh, I'm not a feminist, but have no problem with it, something like the future is female, well, they are going by the feminist narrative. They might not call themselves a feminist, but that is the feminist narrative. And it's everywhere. Like if you watch the media, if you watch TV shows, commercials, movies, everything is going by that feminist narrative that women are good, men are bad. And so when I see people say, oh, nobody listens to those crazy people on Twitter, it's like, yes, but their messaging is what seeps into right. society. And they're not understanding that there's a huge disconnect between the large group of everyday women who do not identify and the very, very small but vocal and powerful group. The ones, it's a minority, but they have the power. So then when they manipulate the language like you've described and they have the power because they're in Hollywood media universities and the rest, then that's all you're ever hearing from. So the, the mass majority gets drowned out because they don't have the power. Do you ever explain this to people when you are, I don't know, in conversation? Oh, yes. I tell people all the time. It's funny because in L.A., um, most people don't necessarily agree with me right away. But once I start chatting, even for a couple minutes, their eyes open. Like, they're like, oh, my God, like you're right every time. Twitter is a little interesting because people try to um, attack, uh -huh. try to attack people instead of having a conversation. But in the real world, even if somebody's like, no, you're wrong, within five minutes, they're like, oh, wait a second, you're, you're right. <laughs> like, this is interesting. Very much so. Um, okay, so here's another one. Um, you, you, said, you said that you rightly point out that females make up course, nearly 60% of college students now. Boys are falling behind girls in every subject. They're more likely to fail, get suspended, or drop out of school. Women under 30 without kids are already out earning the men. And yet, and yet, all we ever hear is empower girls. Um, as though it was the complete opposite. Um, and of course, it's a huge political issue. Do you find it hard to keep it about the issue and not turn it into politics per se, because I always find that it, to me, it's not a conservative liberal thing anymore. It might've been at one point, but now it's a divide that's just so obviously between what's fair and right versus those who have an ax to grind. It's just so obvious. So it's really not a political issue, but of course it's made to be a political issue. So how often do you run into having to sort of, I don't know, fight through that and explain that, you know, it's not what it seems. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting because this is basically a social and cultural issue. Um, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. And that's why I call myself a free thinker because um, I, I, if you say you agree with one side on everything, then you're just not really paying attention exactly, to the right. issues. Yep. Um, so I agree with Republicans on a few things. I agree with uh, the Democrats on a few things. But I call myself a free thinker and I go by what I believe. Um, unfortunately, this is a cultural issue with men versus women on all sides. There's feminists on the Republican side, but I feel like it has really become a political issue because it's being used as a political tool when it's needed. Um, so when, uh, politicians try to perpetuate victimhood onto women to get their vote, um, it, it does turn into a political issue. Um, you can see it right now in the Democratic Party with the females running for president. Um, this weekend, I pointed out on Twitter, um, there was a lot of attacks of sexism from the female candidates. Um, Elizabeth Warren called Biden sexist mm -hmm. for calling her angry. Mm -hmm. And then also Amy Klobuchar called it sexist that Pete Buttigieg retired in the poll and said yeah. that if a female candidate has has his experience, she'd never see the debate stage, which I find ridiculous because Marianne Williamson was on the debate mm -hmm, stage mm -hmm. and she she isn't a, a, wasn't in the military or a mayor of a city. So I noticed this weekend they were really pulling out the sexist attack rather than being criticized for either their positions or how they're doing in the polls. And I knew right away why they were doing it this weekend is because Michael Bloomberg's about to enter the race. So they want to make women in the Democratic Party feel, oh, they're against women, not another man. We need a woman president. And it's just, it's horrible because they're utilizing female empowerment to their political advantage. So um, it actually has turned into such a political issue and then when you look at public schools, for example, and the teachers and what they're teaching and everything, it really does have a lot to do with politics. And that's why I try to the masses just to try to get my message out there. But that's why I still um, meet with politicians and stuff like that, because they're the ones who can really try to make a change. And I, I really believe that it's it's going to happen. Um, we we might see a rise on both sides over the next year because I feel like leading up to the election, um, I I always say this: Donald Trump was the greatest gift to the feminist leader because <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Yeah, whether you like Donald Trump or not, he's kind of like the symbol uh -huh. that they uh -huh. can fight I know. against. I know. You know, like it, the wealthy man who was misogynist, like all of these different things that he's accused of. He's like the boogeyman in the flesh <laughs> for them, you know? So I can, I can imagine over the next year, we're going to see even an oh. uptick in this whole oh, female empowerment. Oh, yeah. But I... I really think that people are starting to pick up on this. And I think over the next year, we're also going to see an uptick in people raising concerns for boys and young men in the country. Well, I hope so. Um, yeah. I really hope I want to so. say, I want to I get to these, um, you, you wrote something too, a whole list of ridiculous feminist lies that we're going to get to in a second here. But I want to ask you, what, or just say that I love the fact that you're focusing on children with this issue because I think that's very unusual and that's one of the things that 
piqued my interest when I found out about you because, first of all, you're right, of course, to get them for your focusing on the children is sort of like offsetting feminists trying to get them when they're young to brainwash them. If we don't focus as you are on that age group and we just stay focused on the adults, we're really missing an opportunity there. So your children's books, I'm curious about like, what is the, how many are there and what's, what are the stories and uh, what's the message in those? I mean, I can imagine what they are, but go ahead and tell us. Well, I have four books right now. I have uh, one for boys to empower boys called I am a champion. And it's to uh, teach boys that they're strong, that they can do anything that they want. Like, um, because the funny thing is, is there are a lot of speaking points that the feminists do bring up about men, like um, having one version, let's say, of a man isn't right. We, there's many different types of versions. But you don't shame men for men are bad men. And like, I disagree with their text tactics entirely and I disagree with the term toxic masculinity I disagree with all of it um so my book is to teach boys like they should be they're a champion being who they are and they should work hard and they should uh they can work hard in school and motivate them and they can really be anything they want um so it's like an empowering book for boys which you don't see that often and it's not telling them they're wrong or bad it's telling them they're good like who, what they are is Love good. It. Being a boy is good. Um, and then I have the exact type of book for girls that teaches them like they're, they can do anything. And I, I don't mention in the book once um, anything along the lines of, oh, girls can do anything boys can do. Nothing like that. Like it's just saying you're capable like and you can go for it. And I also include in the book they can become a mother, you know, because – Many feminists and empowering books that are trying to sway them against that um, road. Um, and then another book I have for girls, um, and I want to do a guy version, uh, is um, called Mommy Says I'm Beautiful. And it's something I realized with me as a grown woman, looking at my news feeds and stuff on social media, that I just instantly feel bad about myself or like mm. I feel bad about my appearance or my life or where I'm at. And I was like, wow, if I feel this way on social media and I'm a grown woman, I know that those photos are photoshopped. I know that people are putting their best out there for the world to see. But if I think this way and feel down about myself, what do young teen girls feel when they go on and see the Kardashians and all these people all the time? So I wrote a book about um, not believing everything you see when you join social media. I'm so impressed. I'm seriously so impressed. I'm so glad we got into this. Keep going. (laughs) So so, um, a lot of people say to me, well, why is it a children's book? They're not even on social media yet. And I say, well, that's their most impressionable time. So if you can instill before they, because they're aware of it, but before they join social media, like don't believe everything you see, like it's, lies, you know, then when they do end up going on social media, that little piece of information is permanently planted in their brain. So right away, if they see like a photos, they're all photoshopped and stuff, they're like, yeah, Photoshop, because it's, it's embedded in their brain that way, wired to think that way. Um, it's funny, I when I tell people why I write children's books, I say that my I, I'll say things that my mom used to say when I was a little girl, just like she used to say. And I'll be like, wow, I sound just like my mom. 
But it's not just because like, oh, I'm like my mom. It's because when I was impressionable, she would say things good or bad. And it stuck with me yeah. forever oh, no because you're, it's wiring your brain at that time. So I'm like, well, let's interject it with positive things to think rather than interjecting it like they're doing now, saying they're victims and they're treating us less than. Let's interject saying, no, you're equal. You, no, there's no dip that you have, you are capable of whatever you put your mind to. Um, and then I have a fourth book for boys and girls about cyberbullying. So it's to do the same thing, um, interject before they start going online. But uh, it's about parrots. It's called Me Need a Parrot. And it's a bunch of parrots who uh, start picking on somebody at school and on social media. And one parrot stands up and says, I don't want to be a parrot like everybody else and stands up for them. So it's to try to instill in kids' minds at that time so when they go online and they see people cyberbullying, all they think of is parrots. All these people are parrots. I don't want to be a parrot. Um, so that was the fourth book. And then I'm working on a new book, which is coming out within the next couple weeks. Um, and it's for boys and girls. Um, and it's on school safety. And I actually partnered with um, Andrew Pollock on this book. So it's coming out within, within the next couple weeks. And it's to empower children um, so they can be proactive to prevent tragedies. Um, right now, we focus so much on, um, when it comes to, let's say, school shootings, um, preparing kids on what they should do in the case of, of a tragedy, like they're doing the school shooter um, drills right now, which that is only instilling more anxiety and fear into these kids. And then we're talking about, like, what do we do about these people and about the guns? And I'm thinking, well, why don't we empower children so they can be proactive to prevent these kind of things, you know? Like, give them strength and control. And so it deals with, like, if they see something, say something. If they hear something, tell someone. And then it even addresses if they see somebody bullying somebody or treating them bad, um, that kind of behavior, to do something about it, because they could also prevent a tragedy. So that's the new book that's oh, coming out. I, I Seriously, I'm just, I love it. I mean, I'm just really, really impressed. I think that coming at it oh, thank you. from this angle is, is, is different. It hasn't been done. Because um, every time I'm fighting feminism, I'm doing it with adults. I don't really... I, I mean, I've done it with my own children, <laughs> but I haven't mm-hmm. gone into other elementary schools or anything and, and brought it in this way. And this is this is brilliant. It's just great. Okay, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit and go to this tweet where you listed the most what you call the most ridiculous feminist lies. And we're going to go through um, several of them, five or six of them. Okay, the first one, you wrote that the gender wage gap means corporations are sexist. Um. The, the wage gap has been totally debunked as far as the reason behind it as being that we know when women have their first child, that's when they start to drop out or cut back. And that is the reason the gap exists. And you point out there that, of course, the only answer can be from the other side is that, no, it's because of sexism. And so that, that particular issue, of course, is probably one of the most political because we're going to hear about that next year big time. Um, with all the women on the Democratic side that are in office. So that's one. Um, the second one is being a mother isn't important. 
And that's sort of obvious to anyone who knows anything about feminists. Now, you probably have talked with a lot of people. Like, I have this piece out today in The Federalist, and there's a lot of comments on it. And someone said something like, whoever, feminists never said something about not devaluing motherhood. And that that's not true that they do that. <laughs> that that's what it's about. And I just had to laugh. You, you, you cannot be serious. Like, that is at the yeah, core. That like, is the beginning. Their, it's like, that's the core of what they're doing is to say there's no difference between men and women. They don't have these. It's the patriarchy that established these gender roles. I mean, how could you not know something so basic? Yeah. I'd love to give an analogy, but I'm terrible at analogies. But that just really, that, that was really funny. <laughs> Um, in fact, it was Betty Friedan who, at the whole beginning of this, all this mess in the 1960s, said that uh, compared being a, a wife and mother at home to being in a, quote, comfortable concentration camp, end quote. That was really, in my opinion, the beginning of the end, because at that point, it's just gone downhill since then. This this just continual drip, drip status degradation and that women aren't worth anything unless they're unless they're earning like men are. And then, of course... Their ultimate goal is to get women in, at higher positions, which in order to get them at the highest positions like men, that means they have to leave home. I mean, that's there's no other way about it, exactly. around it. And they're yeah. not doing that. Exactly. And so that's, in fact, you know, in fact, now that you're in California, I'd forgotten. I think I did read that you were out there. Um, yeah. that You know about the California paid leave and how it basically backfired? Yeah. Um, that was just, that just came out a week or so ago showing that the paid leave of, of 2004 that women were offered, they're not taking it and they're not coming back in full, full numbers. So, I mean, and there's only, I think, two states right now that have tried the paid leave. We say we have, you know, unpaid leave across the nation, but we don't have paid leave. And so California was the first to, to try that out. And, and, and still they're failing <laughs> to, to get women out of yeah. that darn home. Exactly. It's because women want to raise exactly. their children. Women, it's in Shock. them to do that. Shock. Yeah. Okay, and then the most obvious, another obvious one, that a woman can raise as many kids as she would like and have a successful full-time career and not neglect either. Um, that's probably the most, um, the one that gets the most, I don't know, backlash or whatever, uh, and it's it's interesting because um, I just read an article. I think it was like in Allure or Mary Mary Claire or something like that, um, where it was a woman who wrote kind of an op-ed piece talking about how much pressure there is on mothers these days and how it's too much and it's overwhelming. And she was blaming others, like you're putting all this pressure on us. And I'm reading the article and I'm like, of course. It's overwhelming. Of course it's overwhelming to be a woman with a career and to be a mother. That's why our society had a structure for so long where (laughs) women were raising the kids. You know what I mean? Like, of course, it's like you can't have your cake and eat it, too. If if you want um, more women in the workplace and you want them to be in powerful positions and you're encouraging women to get into the workforce, the women are like, oh, my God. It's like they're realizing I've been fed this lie because I want my family and and to raise my kids and to be there for them. But is all my work based on my career? Like, I feel like our society has changed what is important no in question. life. No question that yeah. the values have been completely turned on its head, and that's why everything is getting messed up because of the value difference. It's shifting and putting work at the center instead of instead of family. Um, 
it's, it's always been very surprising to me that people fell for that so easily. And I don't know. I know that I had a leg up with a mom who actually attempted it, believe it or not, in the 50s. Um, she was a stockbroker and didn't have children until she was older. And okay. then when she tried to do both, that <laughs> quickly didn't last after a few years, and she quit. And then she raised me basically saying, this does not work, and here's why. So I, I had this message from the time I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't really get my head around not knowing it because I've just always known it um, or didn't know it personally but was told that, I guess, mm-hmm. and then um, – Agreed, yeah. agreed later when I figured it out for myself. But um, to me, it's just so it's so obvious that you can't do both of those things simultaneously and be successful. But at any rate. Okay, and then the next one you wrote is that the differences between men and women, and this, is, of course, is at the base of the whole thing, are caused by social conditioning and not biology. Now, that that's a broader way of really identifying the underpinning of the feminist movement. People don't often... All these other issues are just sort of offshoots of that because that was the underlying piece is that really the way we raise our boys and girls is what's causing them to be different. And, of course, anybody who's raised both a son and a daughter knows that that's ridiculous. But in yeah. the 60s, that was how it's how it all began is you can have sex like a man. We're the same, and we just need to overhaul society and, and change the way we raise kids. And then all of a sudden we'll have this beautiful gender equality world or whatever. And it does show how powerful the feminist organizations are that more scientists don't come stand up and say, mm-hmm. you know what? No, there are differences. I read um, an article on Quillette about um, how scientists are showing men who strengths are different. They are different, but they can't put it out no, there. No, they can't publish findings when they, right that's away. Right. they get... It just shows the power that they have. Absolutely. And now we these um, gender, the extreme gender theory is entering our elementary schools, oh. like especially here in California. I have friends who moved out of this state because it's getting yeah, so I would if I were there here. for sure. They're, they're teaching kids, they're confusing children. They're making it look like they're being inclusive, which I I believe. You know what? If there are there like when there are children who are confused, we need to help. We need to be inclusive. All of those things. But they're not helping by doing this, helping the children who are confused. They're purposely, purposely confusing, confusing all exactly. children. It's terrible. And it's terrible. And these kids don't need those kind like the stress of who, like, what gender am I? And stuff at that time, it's ridiculous. Well, it's what ruining their childhood. Kids? It's totally ruining their childhood. Oh, they're not going to totally. have a childhood. Did you see that sign, the, the, the sign that the boy was holding up? He was four years old. And, yes. and it said, if, if he can get yeah. it, if he can understand that there's no such thing as male and female, why can't adults? I mean, that's exactly. child and abuse. It's like, the, it's child abuse. The parent made them hold the sign for the photo. Like, it, it was so ridiculous. And I, do you know what, though? I actually, I, I tweeted about this last week. I actually think this new kind of push that they're doing oh, I know what you're on say. Yeah. Um, this <laughs> it's is gonna... actually going to be the thing that that yes. creates a civil war within the feminist movement itself because they've spent decades and decades of trying to lift up women and now they're going so far as to completely erase women <laughs> like the thought of women and um, when always announced that they were taking the the, femin- the female symbol off their packaging, the outrage that was brought out, like, yes. excuse me, like, this is something women 
this is something that is very offensive to women. Like, how dare you, like, bring on this narrative? And especially in Canada right now, there's a lot of women who have been in the feminist movement, speakers and stuff, who are speaking against this narrative, saying it's going too far, because it is. And then, so then there, now these feminists who are having these speaking engagements and there's protesters protesting them at their speaking mm. engagements. So you're seeing like a fracture happen yeah. within the movement as we speak. So I said last week, they've been wanting a gender war for a long time, but it might be a civil war within the movement itself that is the war they actually get. Well, and you know what the biggest disconnect is that I think will move people if they can be if they can have this presented to them is that the whole argument originally, as we said before, was that there's the differences between men and women are caused by social conditioning and not biology. Right. Well then if that is true, let's just pretend that's true, which of course it's not. Then how is it that simultaneously you're, you're born in the wrong body. All of a sudden biology becomes the thing that the transgender argument relies upon. They're saying it's not the way you're raised. It's they're, they're born this way. You know, whether you're actually, you could say that even whether they're gay or or transgender, all of a sudden biology trumps the upbringing. But the whole premise is that, no, biology isn't real. So which is it? Exactly. <laughs> it, and there's, this is exposing, this is, again, why I think this is going to be the thing that kind of causes a fracture is because it also shows um, they've been, there's been a big push lately for like uh, drag kids. I don't know if you've seen this. There's like a documentary coming out about drag kids. It's like a new popular thing. And then they're having um, people dressed in drag at elementary schools and libraries reading to yes, kids I have seen a and bit stuff like that. And they're, they're glorifying these uh, young, young children who are dressing up in drag. And they're kind of showing, wait, so feminism, like being a feminine or being a woman is all about makeup and hair and wigs and clothes. It's, it's again, putting a hole in their narrative. <laughs> like They're imploding. It's imploding. The whole, the, whole, the whole movement is imploding upon itself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's, I think when if this keeps going the way it is, people are really going to start being like, whoa, wait a second. Like this what what are they doing here? Right. It's going it's going crazy, yeah. And then my favorite one that you wrote is the lie that men hate women and work to disadvantage them at every opportunity when they are our lovers, friends, family, and confidants. And this can only be recognized or written by someone who clearly has men in her life whom she loves. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it's very clear that women who do would have this, would understand this. But again, it's the ones in power who don't really have good relationships with men at all, who are um, painting men to be something that they are not. And it, the, the, the scope of how wrong they are is just, I, I still sometimes can't believe it, because men are really the exact opposite of what feminists charge them to be. Exactly. I always say, I don't understand why we should blame and shame all boys and men for unacceptable behavior of a few men. That's insane. We wouldn't say all women are this because a majority do that. You know, like that's just wrong. Of course we wouldn't do that. 
so to create a narrative that like all men are inherently bad and they're the rapists, they're the killers, they're the abusers. No, no, no. I I wrote a tweet a couple of weeks ago where I said, um, I people always say it's men who kill, it's men who rape, it's this and that. I actually know, and this isn't to be mean to women or anything, but the only murderer I actually know personally who's literally in jail right now for murder is a woman who killed her husband for his insurance money, the father of her two teenage daughters, and he was a great guy. So I'm like, where is this narrative that's only men who kill? Like, it's bad people who kill. And it might be, there might be more men, but that doesn't mean all men are killers, you know? It's a narrative that is to make women feel like they're victims and they should live in fear and fear men. Absolutely. Absolutely. And your final most ridiculous feminist lie is <laughs> that feminism is still needed today. <laughs> I liked that one. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's the one you exactly. hear over and over. We're so much more work to do. So much more work. Yeah, so much more work. Um, I actually got in a debate with um, a man. Who, a man. It was a very interesting um, debate that I had. I mean, the very intelligent man. He's actually an uh, expert on climate change. Um, but it kind of proved to me that even if somebody's an expert in one field, they can be confident and think they're right 100% about another topic, but they are misinformed. And their confidence is what kind of pushes this along. But um, today, um, so and this goes back to when I was in Tanzania, um, female empowerment globally can help the, the world in, uh, in developing countries like Tanzania, mm-hmm. female empowerment can help Definitely. the economy. It can I always say, why don't feminists just poverty. go over there and stay there? Just go, you know, exactly. other countries and do their thing. So, and like, just for example, by empowering girls to go to school there, their parents can't sell them. So um, a lot of the feminist organizations have said globally, female empowerment um, results in less violence. It results in uh, improving the economy. It helps with uh, ending poverty. Yes, female empowerment in developing countries can help lift them out, and it's needed. But you can't relate what's happening in those countries to what's happening in Western countries and in America today. Um, they're using the fact that female empowerment um, can help in developing countries to why we need more female empowerment in America. And it's like, well, the pendulum has swung in the other direction in America. So if we just keep doubling down on only empowering girls, we're going to see more violence and more destruction. Um, It's going to hurt our economy. The Fed chair, Jerome Powell, he said that one of the top two issues facing our economy is the peril of young males' decline. So it's like what we're seeing now, they're using female empowerment being needed in developing countries um, to, to raise up women here, which is only going to have the adverse effect. Like it's going to go the opposite way. Um, if we have a generation of disgruntled, unemployed, unmotivated, and resentful young men, but we have a majority of women in power, what kind of hostile environment is that going to create for us? I, I can't even think. Of, I mean, I do think about it a lot. There's so many things I think about and worry about, and you just basically summed it up perfectly. I would like to clone you, Lisa, especially for your generation. <laughs> 
We need a lot more leases, and then we would be good, and this stuff would not be happening. We just need a lot more of you. That's all I can say. It's just, That's why I'm out there on social media. Like, I'm trying to change minds. and yeah. I mean, sometimes Twitter can be a little um, – a little, if people are mean and stuff, and I try to stay as positive as I possibly yeah. can. Um, and Good idea. Kind of neutral, and I don't um, like purposely attack people, especially like people who who have like small amount of followers and stuff. I don't go out hunting for people to argue with. Um, the only people that I do call out is more like media people or politicians mm-hmm. or people in the movement who have a lot of followers Good. who I feel like are doing the most damage. But besides that, I'm not into, you know, these like arguing. I, I just said the other day, I was like, I'm not blaming women who follow feminist narrative. Um, they have blinders on. It's not the fault. I'm not looking at these feminist women being like, it's your fault because they're being fed this information. And I said the other day, I would know. I was one of them. Like, yeah. I, I'm not attacking the woman. I'm trying to open their eyes yeah. to what's oh happening. Um, so it's people will say, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. No, yeah. it's, it's, it's a very big deal. Probably, it's a very big deal. And I think it's um, the, the biggest crisis that America's facing. Oh that might gosh. be our own destruction. Oh my destruction gosh, you and I are cut from the same cloth. Seriously, it's so great <laughs> to meet you. Really, it really is. Where where can people, what, what's your Twitter handle? Or... Um, people can find me on Twitter at, at Lisa Britton. And that's B-R-I-T-T-O-N. We always have to spell everything out here. B-R-I-T-T-O-N. So okay. And um, same on Instagram too. I'll start posting more photos. Some exciting things are coming down the road. So I'd like all of your listeners who agree with you and I um, to know that some big things are going to be happening. Oh, I can't wait. Well, I will certainly be following you, and I'm sure people who are listening will as well. It's just been so great talking with you, Lisa, and I hope you come back again. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Have a good day. Well, that wraps up another edition of The Suzanne Banker Show. My guest today was Lisa Britton. That's B-R-I-T-T-O-N. And don't forget to tune in next week for the inaugural episode of Suzanne Venker Unfiltered, where I take a break from interviewing a guest and talk to you all directly about the issues of the day. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. 